Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and as always, it is a pleasure to come to you with these programs. They're both broadcast, podcasts, and videocasts, and uh, we're here every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and then Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and we're streaming live at those times. And you can find that uh, stream at richarddugan.com. We podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and a whole bunch of other places. And thank you for those who are reposting them. I, uh, I, can't, I can't thank you enough because uh, I'm a one-man band and I can't do it all. So I appreciate your stepping in to uh, spread the word and words of uh, my, myself as well as my guests, and uh, we also encourage you to go to YouTube where you can uh, basically watch these interviews, and we'll be linked to our guest's website. We'll give you that web address here in just a moment. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we want you to go within and listen to that still small voice. I'm sure we'll bring that up in our program again today as we we do like to do, because sometimes we get to the end of the show and going, darn it, I didn't ask you about that. But we'll maybe start there. Who knows? And then we ask that if you can financially support us, we would be gratefully appreciative. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And when you go to support us to PayPal, it's going to ask you for an email address. So simple, so easy. Richard at richarddugan.com. To whom you will be sending uh, the uh, the contribution, the support, uh, the uh, the wherewithal, if you will, that helps us to keep moving forward. And with all of that being said, we have a returning guest. I'm very excited to have him back with us here on the program. <clears throat> he, uh, no, he is uh, not going to bring us, and I know he's, he, I, you know what, I'm not even going there because it's not fair. We're going to have <laughs> a doctor. That's right. Uh, Dr. D is here, your audio physician. But we have Dr. Hammer, Greg Hammer, MD. He is uh, a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, physician, as well as a best-selling author and mindfulness expert. We'll get into that as well. And the author of the book, Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Ah, but not just for healthcare professionals, for all of us. Hey, Greg, it is fantastic to have you. You knew where I was going to go, didn't you? And I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Great to be with you again. <clears throat> yeah, well, it is, it is not that time, is it? It is not that time. It's time for you to share with us about this, uh, uh, this whole aspect, if you will, that I know... Ah, pain without gain. I mean, we hear it in the uh, in the uh, gyms and so forth. No gain, no pain, no gain. Um, I'm beginning to appreciate that idea, that concept. I used to wholeheartedly say, "We don't have to suffer. We don't have to be in pain. We don't have to do all of this stuff." And yet at the same time, I think there's maybe a difference in, in what I'm thinking of that we will always face challenges, correct? But yes, absolutely. But it doesn't always have to be painful, does it? No, well, I, I, I think the pain may be there, but the suffering is optional. Ah, okay. But yes, I think the idea is that uh, beside the fact that I'm an anesthesiologist, among other things, and try to prevent pain or treat it if it arises, our progress along the path does not have to be painful. In other words, it doesn't require a lot of effort. It really just requires perhaps even the opposite. It's, it's more of a sinking into, a relaxing into, than it is hefting some Sisyphean boulder up the hill. So yes, it doesn't really have to be painful. I think maybe the uh, no pain, no gain uh, euphemism is applicable for the first half of our life. And then for the second half of our life, we realize that we don't need to experience pain in order to progress. I think that the 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 part about the challenges, um, 
I mean, just in the last few years, for me, I have been uh, going through uh, for myself. I, I cannot speak for anybody else involved, but only for myself. Um, I was lucky enough to have a great support system. I had literally family therapist, marriage and family counselor and therapist who said, Richard, can I be part of your support team? Uh, and, and knowing what I was going through, and I said, well, sure, you know, I, I, I never ruled you out, but thank you for asking. I, I've never heard anybody ask before. And I, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know if it's, I, I, I don't know the reasons why, other than she was compassionate towards me and what I was going through, because maybe she went through it too. But um, I thought that was so fascinating. Do you find that we can gain without pain, especially if we can generate and create within our own lives and surround ourselves with a network that is not there to, oh, poor you and so sad and, and they're yes people, but there are people who, yes, will support you. They will be there to to comfort you, but at the same time, they'll also be there as friends to call you on your stuff. How important yes, is that? I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think there are three general things we need to do in order to be happy. I mean, we can talk about the gain method. We can talk about the fundamentals of our physical well-being, but in general, we need to be in community. We need to be growing as people, learning, moving forward. And we really need to be doing service. We need to be giving to others. So when you talk about somebody offering to be in your support group, there's an example of community. That's what you need in your community. You need people that are there to support you. And that doesn't mean you know, true support is not, as you know, Richard, not simply agreeing with you, but rather mm -hmm. at times telling you like it is. And so we need that community and we need to be serving others. So that, you know, I, I think in that category would be what your friend who offered to support you was exemplifying, that is serving others. So it's one of the key ingredients to happiness. Well, I will tell you that it's it's it, you know it's funny too because you, as an anesthesiologist, you could help us all. Just knock us out, okay? No more pain. We won't feel a thing, <laughs> no matter what's going. But there are those who are actually self-administering anesthesia in many different ways, um, and we're we're you know I mean I guess some of the more traditional would be alcohol, uh, and uh, nowadays with uh, with uh, cannabis being legalized across the country in each individual state. Don't get me wrong, the government, the federal government hasn't done it yet, uh, but uh, it probably is going to be forced into doing it. In any event, we have lots of, we'll call them, uh, what, addictions that people turn to, to mask, to cover, to hide from the pain. How important is, I mean, I, I know you're talking about gain without pain. I get that. But isn't there a certain level of importance to that pain to teach us something about self, about, you know, in terms of growing? Or am I misreading what we're talking about in terms of the definition of pain? No, I think you're right that whatever its purpose, if you want to believe there is a purpose to such a thing, pain is intrinsically part of our lives. And we can't just ignore it when we reach for substances, as you pointed out, or objects or relationships in order to search for happiness, what we're actually doing is we're resisting the pain. And there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. In medicine, we love formulas. So that one to me rings true. The pain is part of life. And when we resist it, when we try to medicate it away or pretend it's not there or 
you know, maybe we're having pain in a relationship. And so we depersonalize the other by saying, oh, you know, they are this or that. That's those are all forms of resistance rather than acceptance. Mm. And when we resist the pain, we suffer more. Suffering equals pain times resistance. The A in GAIN and the acronym GAIN stands for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, which I think really are the four pillars of happiness. The A in GAIN is for acceptance. So the pain is there. We suffer from, we, we experience pain, I should say, as we experience joy. It's intrinsically a part of life. In fact, at times I think they're sort of, they neutralize each other in magnitude or they equal each other. The more joy we feel, the more pain we feel too. It's just part of life, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so part of the gain practice is actually visualizing something painful and as we are doing our gain practice with our eyes closed and focused on the breath, we actually envision bringing this pain closer and closer, opening our chest, opening our heart, bringing the pain inside of our heart, enveloping it, nurturing it with our heart. And what we find is that through this acceptance, our suffering is diminished. The pain is still there. Could be loss of a loved one, for example, perhaps during COVID, you know, we lost a family member who mm. was isolated in their hospital room without anybody being able to visit them. And we can just imagine the suffering. That's a very painful experience. But if we take that experience and we actually open our hearts to it and we bring it close and we recognize that pain is simply part of life and that we all experience pain and we fully accept it then although the pain is still there, the suffering is diminished. And, and I think that's the point. We're talking with a doctor, yes, indeed, Dr. Greg Hammer and his book, Gain Without Pain. And we are going to continue that conversation here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I always like having uh, uh, my guests return to continue conversations, to pick up maybe where we left off, or to cover some new ground. And uh, Dr. Greg Hammer, who is an anesthesiologist, uh, coming to us via Zoom all the way from, uh, at least today anyway, Carmel. And if I am reading the nature signs behind you, my friend, <clears throat> your window faces west. Do you have an ocean view, sir? Actually, no, my window faces north. Nope. <laughs> and and what you would see behind me, if you could, I think, is Monterey Bay. So I have a beautiful view of the bay facing north. The Santa Cruz Mountains are on the other side of that bay. It's absolutely lovely. And I'm extremely grateful to have this home and, and also my home on Stanford campus uh, where I'm in the medical school. So I, I am grateful every single day uh, for the bounties in my life, and that would include this beautiful view of Monterey Bay. Mm. Well, I, 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 I just have to do one quarter turn then, and I'm good to go. Uh, it just looked like the, you know, the sun was hitting the leaves of the trees that are behind you, and, and I can see that open space in the sky where maybe, maybe there's a, a, a body of water that he's able to look out upon. Well, absolutely, Monterey Bay Let there. and I can uh, present that to you. Uh, oh, my goodness, is that lovely. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, if you're not, go to YouTube and pull up the Greg Hammer uh, interview. We hope that you'll do that. As well as go to his website, which is greghammermd.com. We hope that you will do that. Gain without pain. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting to look back at one's life. I do this probably uh, not so much reminiscing and missing those days, although I do miss the days of growing up in the neighborhood that I did with the neighborhood kids and everything and, and how we were free. We would run around. The neighborhood families, they knew us. Uh, we weren't in a gang. We were having fun. We would play uh, our version of, say, hide-and-seek uh, we would play kickball in my, we would use my, my parents, and I, I refer to it as their front yard, because uh, it was their house, not ours in that respect, but, you know, and we'd play kickball, you know, and we'd have the diamond, and most of the yards 
on our block, on both sides of the street, had no fences. They were all green lawns. So with the exception of the street, we had some pretty nice turf to play on up and down the block. And we had T-sections at each end. So if there was a car coming, it had to slow down to make the turn. And, of course, we would see it. And, all right, everybody out of the street. Car's coming. And then when it passed, we'd jump back out there and play. And it was just carefree. Um, I think one of my one of my favorite uh, uh, Paul Harvey uh, rest of the story had to do with um, how um, when we were kids, we we left the house without a wallet, without money in our pockets, usually without a timepiece of any kind um, and just with that freedom. But now we're adults and it seems as though in one aspect we sort of created the, uh, uh, the, the, the realm, if you will, of pain in terms of, I mean, I used to think even at 15, oh man, I can hardly wait to grow, get older. Uh, there's a, a wonderful line, I, I quote this quite often from uh, uh, John Denver about, uh, you know, uh, changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old. And at 15, it did. I thought, oh, this will be great, you know. And I got to be an adult. And it wasn't bad, okay, but it wasn't quite uh, the panacea that, that I dreamed of at 15. I'm wondering, somebody said to me the other day, or, or I was watching this, maybe I was watching this one program, that technology, though it has evolved, it has improved, it has, it has moved forward, man has not and maybe that's one of the reasons we, as individuals, as a species, we really haven't evolved past the need because some people, don't they stay in pain? They, 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 it's a comfort place for them, isn't it? Well, I mean, people certainly experience all different kinds of pain. And yes, it's, a, as I said, intrinsically part of life, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. Mm -hmm. Pain is something that we all experience. And so you're absolutely correct. I mean, when we were 15, perhaps we thought we would be adults and have all the bounties and benefits of being an adult, all the freedoms and not have any pain. But uh, no, in fact, life is stressful at a baseline. You know, life is chronically stressful. We're stressed out by what's going to happen tomorrow. And, you know, we have a negativity bias. This is the way our brains are wired, I think, through tens of thousands of years of evolution, our brains have become wired as they are to be rather negative. And the other property our brains have is to be very distracted by the past and the future. And when you put those things together, what you have with maladaptive thoughts of the past on which we focus with our negativity bias, we feel shame and regret. And with regard to the future, Again, we have this negativity bias and our distraction with the future includes anxiety and fear. And so these are painful emotions and thoughts. And yes, they are sort of linked to our human existence. And the fact is that we all experience those. Many of us feel at times as though these are our secrets. You know, we're ashamed of, you know, some habit or addiction or what have you that we unfortunately have that others don't. But in fact, we all have the same experience. We have the same negativity bias. We all feel shame and regret. We all feel fear and anxiety. And so, yes, I think this chronic stress and, and the pain associated with it are intrinsically part of our human existence. Mm. The good news is that our brains have this magical quality called neuroplasticity. <laughs> And so if we have a plan, if we're purposeful, we can actually rewire our brains, change the way we think for the better. And this is where we have tremendous potential to gain. And it doesn't have to be painful. It's actually rather simple. I would say that we can allow the pain to diminish by simply sinking into this reality. And it doesn't have to be uh, a difficult process. And that's why I came up with a, an acronym that only has four letters. 
just to try to try to keep it simple. Um, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And we can sort of rest into these domains and and feel the pain or the suffering related to the pain dissipate. And that's the beauty of of right thinking and, and right actions in life. We're going to talk more about Gain Without Pain, title of the book, with our guest, Dr. Greg Hammer. I'm Richard Dugan, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. And we uh, are very excited to talk about Gain, as you just described. Uh, And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to bring up this aspect that we have have, um, sort of created uh, more out of the events that have taken place over the last three years. And that is the, the and, and I have to say that there's a part of me that feels that the general population didn't get it. That's the burnout amongst physicians and healthcare providers that a large number of people following the COVID pandemic, global pandemic, said, that's it, no more. I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And the reason I say the general public didn't seem to care, it's because many of them refused for whatever reasons, and I'm not passing judgment here. They chose not to do the things that we were asked to do. And I have to tell you, in March of 2020, had I believe, this is just what I believe, uh, uh, Greg, if we had done the things we were asked to do from the get-go and stuck with it for three months, I honestly believe we might have been through it over and done, here in the United States anyway, if we had done some of these things, especially shutting down the airlines, even if it was just for a couple of weeks. By comparison, the airlines were shut down and for a lot longer than that uh, by virtue of the fact that we were all told to stay home, so nobody was traveling. But the burnout within the medical community uh, like I said, certain segments of our society, uh, in my opinion, uh, an observation showed a great lack of respect for the medical community by not doing some of these things uh, because they felt they had the inalienable right or what have you uh, and so forth. And we won't go into that, but let's talk about this issue of burnout because I'm 62. I can't remember ever a time when even when the AIDS crisis kicked up in 1980, uh, when the healthcare profession and the people in it uh, got to a point where they said, I, no, I can't do this anymore. I know there were some who couldn't deal with the death and dying and the suffering. But, you know, we've got, we've got shortages all over the place. Uh, c- can you talk to us a little bit about this aspect of burnout and then... Bring us into, um, I'm going to ask you to go down a path here, of how mindfulness practices to reduce the very stressors that have afflicted our healthcare professionals. Absolutely, Richard. I I agree with you. Uh, I have certainly never experienced the level of chronic stress and burnout amongst all of us. Uh, of the last three years in my lifetime. Uh, Of course, we haven't gone through a pandemic uh, in our lifetimes. There was one a hundred years ago or Mm -hmm. so, but uh, that and then so many other things concomitant have led to just remarkable chronic stress amongst all of us. It's uh, the economy, food shortages globally, war, um, and then superimposed on that so many phenomena that have become part of our culture with uh, all the social media. And yes, it has wonderful aspects, including your wonderful podcast, but it also creates a lot of stress for many people. And I'm currently writing a book about teenagers and the stresses that they experience and what some of the solutions might be. But yes, I think this has been a uniquely stressful three or four uh, or five years Mm. and uh, you know the mass shootings for example are both a manifestation of the chronic stress that we all experience and also self-propagation of phenomena in our culture that keep the chronic stress burning unfortunately but yes burnout is really just uh, a syndrome uh, related to chronic stress whereby we have 
emotional and physical fatigue and we just don't see a way out of it at times and and what you described uh, that resignation i just can't do this anymore uh is a manifestation of the experience of being in a deep dark place uh and this is uh, that's a hole that is created by this chronic stress that we experience and yes. chronic stress has a number of physical manifestations again that are self-propagating for example our hormone levels are altered in ways that are unfavorable uh, our serum cortisol for example goes up that increases our blood sugar our blood pressure our resting heart rate this is a stress on our cardiovascular system and our sleep is impaired and when we're sleep deprived we are fatigued when we're fatigued we, for example, in the hospital, passed by a nursing station and a grateful patient has donated a box of seized candies. When we're fatigued, we tend to reach for sugary and fatty so-called comfort foods <laughs> that give us a very temporary boost. Yeah. So our, our diet, our level of nutrition is suffering. We crash again, we're too tired to exercise. So the three really vital legs of the tripod that support our physical well-being that is sleep exercise and nutrition suffer when we are chronically stressed and burnt out and again this self-propagates our level of unwellness and this chronic stress that we're that we're experiencing and you know there's objective evidence of this chronic stress and and burnout uh under the microscope we can look at our chromosomes and the little protective caps that uh, keep the tips of our chromosomes from fraying, much like those little plastic devices at the end of our shoelaces, those are called telomeres. And as we age, those telomeres shorten. And when we are chronically stressed, those telomeres shorten. So this is an objective phenomenon that's related to chronic stress. Again, the good news is our brains have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity and so if we have a plan richard we can not only slow this process down but we can actually reverse it through an intentional practice of rewiring our brains which i i, I don't know why this question just came to mind the difference between because you've used the word a number of times already the difference between plasticity and elasticity or are they kind of synonyms of one another well you know elasticity evokes an image of stretching mm -hmm. right exactly <laughs> um plasticity in this case neuroplasticity means the ability to change so mm -hmm. not just to stretch but actually to change and so again i think the way our brains are wired with this negativity bias and this distraction this obsession if you will but with the past and the future, uh, I can imagine why our brains develop these properties over tens of thousands of years. So, you know, 50,000 years ago, early Homo sapiens may have been sitting in a cave with his or her family, keeping a fire going, and they had to be very wary that there were dangers lurking about. There may have been a saber-toothed tiger uh, just outside the mouth of their cave. And so they had to be wary they had to be on edge, if you will, and that allowed them to live longer and to procreate more and have more offspring. And so mm. the genes that code for these properties of wariness and even negativity, if you will, became more and more predominant in the population. And, and fast forward 30 or 40 or 50,000 years, and here we are, but there's no longer for most of us the equivalent of a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of our cave. You know, most of us here in the United States have a safe place to live. We have a roof over our head. There's no hazard lurking in our immediate vicinity. And so yet we're still kind of on edge. We're still mm -hmm. wary. We're still negative. We're still thinking of the worst possible thing that can happen. We catastrophize. And so the first step in reversing this process and changing the way we think is to recognize that we all think this way 
And I think that alone is comforting. We are all the same. We're all made of the same stuff, whether you call it consciousness, awareness, God, love. We are all made of the same stuff. We all think the same way. We don't have, we don't need to have secrets and, you know, our, our little qualities that we were ashamed of, for example, we're all wired the same way. But we also have the same capacity to change the way we think. But we have to have a plan. And and really, that is what it's all about, is, is how to grow as people, how to, how to make gains. It's not painful. In fact, I think it's pain relieving if we can rewire the way we think toward less stress and greater happiness. Dr. Greg Hammers, my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, I want to talk to you, uh, uh, Dr. Hammer, about um, <clears throat> about uh, this aspect of mindfulness, which has has been a buzzword for the last I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years, maybe not quite a decade, but it certainly is has come into the mainstream. More people are. Uh, trained in mindfulness, if you will, and trying to teach others. You use this concept to help people to relieve stress. First of all, describe for us what you mean by mindfulness. I can think of no greater definition than that put forward by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's really one of the fathers of mindfulness. And uh, Dr. Kabat-Zinn started a program in Massachusetts at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center for patients with chronic diseases that were refractory to other treatments. And he called this uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, and that program lives on today. And what Dr. Kabat-Zinn, how he defined mindfulness was very simple. Mindfulness, and I would put forward that this could be happiness, but mindfulness is awareness of the present moment on, on purpose, non-judgmentally. And so there are a few key features of that definition, which are embodied by the acronym GAIN. Awareness of the present moment. So this is where happy, happiness lives, Richard. Happiness lives in the present moment. Yes, we have sort of a feeling of warmth and happiness when we remember the good times we've had with loved ones and so on. But that happiness itself came from being present. So if you think about the happiest times in your life, let's say walking through a forest, experiencing that soft feeling under your soles, the soles of your feet with that pine floor of the forest yielding to your footfall and the light filtering through the top of the canopy, through those leaves and the gentle breeze and that smell of evergreen trees. And in that moment, we are not thinking about what happened yesterday or something I'm embarrassed about that I did or said, or the list of things we have to do tomorrow. We are right there aware of the present moment. So awareness of the present moment on purpose. The on purpose means that our default mode is to be very distracted by the past and future and and with a negativity hue or overlay to our thoughts. So if we're not purposeful, we lapse into our default way of thinking, which is negative and distracted. And, and we will have a hard time experiencing or being aware of the present moment. So we have to have a plan. We have to have purposefulness to change the way we think, to be more aware of the present, which is where happiness lives. Awareness of the present moment on purpose, with a plan, non-judgmentally. And non-judgment is the N in gain. And, you know, if you'd like, we can we can dive more into what non-judgment means and why it's such a fundamental part of happiness. I, I do want to dive into that. I want to remind our listeners uh, that... Uh, GAIN is, is an acronym. GAIN without pain. GAIN is an acronym for the uh, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Uh, we've heard this concept of um, uh, uh, unconditional love. Uh, there are those who say there's no such thing. Can't happen. Not possible. 
Uh, and I, I myself tend to disagree because you've heard that you've you've also heard the people loving to use the word tolerance. You're an anesthesiologist. I'm going to tolerate you, but there's judgment in the word tolerate or tolerance. So I change it to one of the letters in your acronym, acceptance. I accept you. I may not agree with all of your philosophies, your political, economic, religious. I may not agree with any of that stuff. But Greg, you are a member of the human race, so you belong. You belong. We are connected. We are part of the community. I don't have to like everything. <laughs> you, you know, uh, if we were out in the pioneer days, you know, Greg, you're, you're not chopping the wood right. Okay, let me show you how it's done right. None of that. And people seem to think that it's not possible to have unconditional love for someone. And do you, do you think that that's even that that's a, a possible thing? Yes, I, I not only think it's possible, I think it's our, this is going to be radical, I think it is our natural state. I think happiness and love for everybody, including ourselves, is really our true nature. And unfortunately, that true nature becomes veiled by our experience. And also, I, I think it's not only our experience or, you know, the, the natural uh, progress of life, but it's also in our genes, unfortunately, as I said, I think these these properties of wariness, negativity, distraction have become uh, hardwired into our DNA. And fortunately, we can change that. But to your question, uh, yes, I think that unconditional love is our true nature. Mm -hmm. And um, and let's have a plan. Let's have an intention uh, to get back to that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more in that respect. Acceptance is part of that. And I, like I said, I'm throwing out the word tolerance or tolerate or any derivation thereof and replacing it with acceptance. Uh, and again, it doesn't mean uh, that I go along with everything. I'm not going to be your yes person. Uh, uh, and I hope that you won't be mine. But uh, I, I am going to open myself up to allowing you to be the person you are and hopefully you do the same for me. And it's one of the challenges in relationships, especially within professions, but also within more intimate relationships, uh, you know, significant others, brothers and sisters. Uh, back uh, almost a year ago, uh, I, I lost my eldest sister. And um, a month after her passing, we had they had the memorial and I flew out to Phoenix and one night, my brother and I, who haven't really talked a whole lot, we aren't estranged, it's just that he's off doing his thing and I'm here doing my thing, we had this quite incredible conversation. Uh, it was probably more politically motivated, and he and I obviously are on different sides of the political spectrum. And um, <laughs> I still remember it was 1 a.m., and my mom comes out of their bedroom, we were both staying with him at the time, and says, boys, boys, I'm 62 and he's 59. <laughs> and she says, boys, it's one o'clock. And I said, oh, we're almost done, mom. We did agree on two or three points in terms of things that needed to be dealt with. We may not have agreed on how to solve those problems or issues or challenges, but we agreed that they needed to be dealt with. And the one thing that I really made a strong point during this conversation, which at times got a little bit heated, maybe more on my side than his, I said, you know what? None of this is really that important. And when this conversation's over, he's still my brother. He will always be my brother. Um, I have that unconditional love for him. Do I agree with everything that he believes? Of course not. I mean, it would be foolish if I did. I think that's how cults get started. <laughs> um, mindfulness training. Uh, you, you primarily deal with young people because, you're, you, you know, you deal with pediatrics in your anesthesiology practice, correct? Yes. Yeah. Do, do kids come by this mindfulness 
naturally? Or is it something they have to be taught too? Because if I'm a, a very simple example of what I think it is, is little kids out there playing, running around, having a great time, falls down, bumps his knee, gets up, holds his knee, cries for about, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, and then he's off running again, having fun and playing. Because he's in the now, he's in the moment. Is that a, a fair uh, description, especially for kids? And do they indeed come by it naturally? It seems like they do. Oh, yes. I mean, starting with the newborn. A newborn is not aware of time or space. A newborn simply is. And, and as you said, young children, the same. They're mostly in the present moment. And it's something that we acquire with age. Uh, that is to be more self-aware, more self-conscious, uh, casting our thoughts into the future and the past, uh, having this negativity bias. Yes, that's something that we're not born with. We may be born with the predisposition for those properties as we get older, but yes, um, a young child embodies awareness of the present moment. Uh, they may not be doing it on purpose and non-judgmentally, but they're in the present moment. So yes, one of those essential ingredients to happiness or mindfulness is intrinsically part of being a newborn, an infant, a young child. It's a, And that's why I think it's such a beautiful thing to watch is because these young younger people, young children are in the present moment and we value that. We intrinsically understand that that is a part of happiness and, you know, it's it's joyous. And of course, we get pleasure from observing it. It's incredible how this mindfulness uh, is is like being in the zone. You know what I mean? You're Absolutely. In, spo in sporting events, you're in that zone where nothing else matters. You're not even aware. Maybe if you're uh, in a stadium, you're not even aware of the crowd because you're so focused on what is what what you're doing i find that too and i have to use the word miraculous sometimes to say wow uh, you know i can't believe that that came out of me you know and my hands and my brain and how important is because this takes us to a new a new level how important is intuition in this process of gain that's a good question i, I it's not something i have thought about um I'm really not sure, Richard. I don't know about intuition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the knowing of something uh, without necessarily having a lot of environmental cues. Um, no, I don't know how to answer that. Okay. I haven't thought about it. And I'll that's have to okay. Get that. Next time I'm I'm with you, we'll uh, I'll have an answer for you. I guarantee <laughs> you, there will be a next time. Okay. <laughs> I and think, I, though, you know, intuition is actually something that may be a part of our true nature. I think that uh, we point. are connected to everybody and everything. We're all made of the same stuff. And so, you know, I think that if we train ourselves to be perfectly present, I think, you know, it may, in fact, foster a greater level of intuition. I think we are so distracted in maladaptive ways by the past and the future that we we lose some of our intuitive thinking and way of being. And so, uh, you know, I like to think that if we're really in the present moment, we're feeling love, we're feeling our true nature, then, you know, I think our, our intuition is is magnified and shines. Yeah. We are speaking with a man who knocks people out. Uh, his name is Dr. Greg Hammer. He's an anesthesiologist, pediatric anesthesiologist, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. We are here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is a pleasure to have Dr. Greg Hammer here with us, uh, anesthesiologist, author of uh, Gain Without Pain. That's right. And it isn't just for the healthcare professional, although initially, obviously, it was geared in that direction with the subtitle being as such, but it is geared to everybody. It's geared to all of us. 
Um, one of the things that I find real interesting, and we talked a little bit about this, this has to do with unconditional love, but also the last part of gain, G-A-I-N, and that is non-judgment. Um, I, can, I can speak to this more specifically now than ever before. Um, back in June of 2015, I saw a man come down an escalator and declare his candidacy uh, for president of the United States and then began to give the speech or whatever it was that he said. And the first thing I heard was uh, that this was a bully. I did not want to bully as a president. Um, and I tried to stay as far away from all of that stuff as I possibly could. And I, I got away from it until September of 2016. I got sucked back in. Oh, my God, it was awful. And it took me until January of, the, of, of that following year, 17, after the election. And I went through a four-phase process that went from, and I have to tell you that the first phase was the, the most difficult because I, it wasn't enough to say it in my head. I, I actually had to say the words out loud to myself. And admit from a more metaphysical and universal perspective, thank you, teacher, really grated against my brain, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. Then I moved on to the next level. I forgive you, but I forgive myself even more for allowing myself to be dragged into this quagmire of the, the whole political stuff. Uh, then the third phase, uh, I had to really humble myself and from that place say, what is it that makes you so afraid that you have to speak and behave in this fashion? I'm, I'm not saying you have to change. I just want to understand so I can put this all behind me. Then one of my guests in the presentation of these three phases said, ah, there's one more. Still from that humble heart, you need to utter three simple words and mean it. I love you. Now that speaks to me too. That, again, it goes to that whole aspect of not only acceptance, but also non-judgment. I may not like what it is you say or do, but you have every right to be here. Just like you, Greg, have every right to be here as I do. Boy. You know, that was a hell of a process to go through, to get to that place of non-judgment. What are some of the steps that you take people through in the gain process to maybe, even if it's, it's short-term, in and out, in and out, understanding how important it is to be non-judgmental, how healthy it is, because you kind of addressed this a little bit, to be non-judgmental. Our brains, Richard, are naturally comparing everything in our environment to something else in our environment or ourself. Uh, we are naturally very analytical. And again, I think this goes back to the way our brains are wired for good reason. We have to assess everything in our environment. And again, going back to early homo sapiens, perhaps 50,000 years ago, everything in the environment was potentially a threat. There may have been that saber-toothed tiger, or there may have been some other threatening predator in our vicinity. So we had to look at everything very carefully and assess whether or not there was that threat lurking. Fast forward now, today, we don't really have that constant threat, most of us at least, fortunately, Yet our brains are still wired in that way that we're assessing everything around us, looking for threats. And part of that process is judging. We're, we're judging things around us. And it's important in that context to recognize the difference between discerning and judging. Ah. So to label everything as good or bad is not necessary. In fact, it takes a lot of our energy our mind's energy constantly churning, comparing one thing to another. And with our negativity bias, there's often something 
rather negative about those judgments we make, especially when they pertain to ourselves. We're very harshly self-judgmental. So we need to discern, but we don't need to judge. So we have, you know, an hour in the day, maybe to have a cup of coffee with a friend. And so would we rather get together with person A, who's forward-looking, pragmatic, lively, positive, loving, or friend B, who is judgmental and gossipy and a bit on the negative side. So we need to discern which of these people would we rather spend the hour with. And probably it's the first person. But we don't need to judge either person as good or bad. It doesn't mean that friend B is a bad person. They may have had unfortunate circumstances. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of reasons they may think and behave the way they do, but we don't have to judge them as good or bad. And the more difficult thing is recognizing that we don't have to judge ourselves as good or bad. So during our gain meditation, we get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene thing. We find a comfortable place to sit, hopefully someplace quiet. We close our eyes. We begin to focus on the breath. We slow it down. So maybe we count our in-breath to three and we hold it for three and then we relax and let it go without effort to a count of four. And we do this for several cycles. And then we begin to contemplate that for which we're grateful. We move on to acceptance and then intention and then non-judgment. And we get to non-judgment, we may, for example, picture an image of the earth, apparently suspended in space, one of these beautiful NASA images. Mm. And we think that the earth is neither good nor bad. It is simply a planet. It is simply the planet that it is. And we sort of link this to our breath. And then we consider ourselves, if the earth is neither good nor bad, it simply is what it is. It's only logical for us to think of ourselves the same way. I am neither good nor bad. I simply am the person that I am. I am, and we relax into this I amness and then go back to the breath and slowly open our eyes and we're ready to go out in the world. So that's a method, if you will, for reminding ourselves that things don't have to be good or bad. They simply are what they are. And these four gain elements are really very closely linked. So the non-judgment is, as you pointed out, Richard, linked to acceptance. You know, we have to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change. And what we cannot change, regardless of how unpleasant it may be, we must accept. And resisting increases our suffering. Accepting without judgment reduces our suffering. And so again, this is a matter of having a plan, recognizing that we're intrinsically judgmental and often rather negative in our judgments of others and ourselves, and having a plan or intention, the iron game, to let go of these judgments. It's actually very liberating, as you said, to let go of the judgments and love unconditionally. And it's it's within all of us to do just that. I think in fact, it's our true nature, and we can relax or sink into our true nature if we have a plan, and it doesn't have to be painful. In fact, it's rather effortless. Well, um, it, it reminds me of an analogy that I've used many times on this program, and by the way, we're in our 15th year of Tell Me Your Story. Quite exciting to uh, to be part of that as well. Um that if you take a look at what I, this is kind of how I phrase it, and I'll, I'll keep it brief. You have the macro and the microcosmic worlds. The macrocosmic world, we look through the telescopes. We uh, may might access the Hubble or the uh, James Webb telescope, what have you. And we're looking at the universe uh, moving around everything, and things are crashing into one another and spinning and on and on and on and on and on. Guess what? There's no judgment there. It's just doing what it's doing now. Let's go inward. Electron microscope, looking down at the subatomic particles. And they're doing exactly the same thing, by the way, as the macro universe, the macro world is doing. 
they're spinning and crashing and doing this and they're dividing and, and, and combining and on and on and on. And guess what? There's no judgment there. There's no judgment if you're looking at cancer, uh, COVID, uh, if you're looking at white blood cells, red blood cells, bone cells, whatever it is you're looking at, there's no judgment there. But at this level, I call it the mid-crow. It doesn't sound real great, okay? But <laughs> um, there's judgment all over the place by us. And there's a passage from the Bible, two passages, Old and New Testament. New Testament Jesus says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I got to wondering, what does that mean, to be perfect as your Father in heaven? Well, I went back to Psalms, and the very words you've already uttered, my friend, I am that I am. God is the universal power, whatever you want to term it, isn't good or bad, right or wrong, black or white, good or evil. God just is I am that I am, and it gave me a whole new perspective on what you just spoke to, and that is, I'm perfect right here and right now. Is there room for improvement? Um, yeah, because I want to grow. I want to be a better person tomorrow than I am today. I'd like to think I'm better than I was yesterday. Uh, you know, you're 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 going down the right path here, uh, Greg. It's I think this is fantastic, and I hope people will pick up a copy of your book, uh, Gain Without Pain. I think that it's uh, very important for people to understand the gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And uh, uh, my, my hat is off to you, sir. <laughs> well, thank you, Richard. I think that's uh, – I love that – that that stream of consciousness with the macro and the micro and i think that uh is why when we are taking a walk in the forest when we're commuting with nature we're happy because we are present and when we are fully present we are not judging we don't judge those trees we don't judge the soil we don't judge the breeze it may be cold. It may be at times uncomfortable, but we don't judge it. It's neither good nor bad. It yeah. just simply is as it is. And I think we're so much in touch, in communion with that principle when we are in nature, when we're taking that walk through the forest. Yeah. So let's do that more often. Yeah, please. I love there's also another Old Testament line about how the sins of the father are passed on to the sins of the uh, are, are passed on to the uh, sons uh, down to seven generations. And I'm thinking, well, then why not the good stuff being passed on to the sons down to seven generations, too? I mean, <laughs> uh, we are a product of not just our environment, present tense, but we're also a product of our ancestry. Um, that seems to be something, too. And, and when you talk about gain, you gotta, you've got to turn that internally, too. I mean, I mean, and you've talked about that also in terms of gratitude for even the breath that you take in for three seconds and hold for three, and then you let out for four and hold for four, and uh, gratitude for the uh, the fact that you have uh, Uncle Bill's uh, eyes and uh, great great grandpa uh, uh, Billy's nose and Aunt Vernon's whatever, and on and on and on, from the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects. That was something we did an interview on not long ago about how we take on those. It's like it's in the DNA, you know, uh, and then acceptance of both the light and the dark side of who we are. Uh, do you find that a lot of folks, I know kids don't have a problem with this in that respect, you know, because I don't know that they really truly understand the concept of the, the light side and the shadow side of, of our beingness. But would you say that probably most adults have a problem with acknowledging the, their dark side but also accepting that it is part of who they are and that's part of what makes them who they are in the now, in the moment. Yes, I'm sure that's correct. And uh, I think we believe this is our dirty little secret, that we have these dark sides, that we have these dark thoughts, that we've behaved in ways that emanate from that darkness. But again, we are all the same. We all have the same 
secrets, if you will. And mm -hmm. so they don't need to be secret. We can simply accept them, accept ourselves for what we are. We are human. And as humans, we have, if you will, a dark side and a, and a light side. And, and that's just the way we're made. And let's just embrace that. Yeah. Well, we are going to embrace a lot of things over the course of time and and uh, hopefully they're the, uh, the good things that uh, uh, we want to pass on to others, both this generation, but through uh, offspring, if we choose to have them. I myself have chosen not to, uh, to pass on some of the genetic things that my parents passed on to me. And again, no judgment to my I said this to my father and my parents and family when we were sitting around once. And I said, uh, yeah, I've decided not to pass that on. My, to which my father, who, by the way, is 92 now, uh, he said, you know, Richard, if I had made that decision back then, you wouldn't be here. And I said, uh, yes, Dad, I do. I know that. <laughs> but I'm thank you. I thank you for uh, bringing me into this world. I, I'm gre greatly appreciative. Um, it's just to me, it's it's. It's it's so wonderful to 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 look at uh, look at this whole aspect of beingness. We uh, are just about out of time, but I want to remind you folks. We're talking with Dr. Greg Hammer, and the book is called Gain Without Pain. And you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and this is a program that is designed to give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And through gain, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, I think you are going to gain a lot. You can go to greghammermd.com to find out more. And you can also go there or Amazon or some of the other outlets to purchase a copy of his book, Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Uh, but I'll, I'll little sketching in there, little, little, little doodling, and for you too. So, uh, Greg, uh, I thank you so much for being with us. I do have three final questions. I probably asked you, a couple of these questions back way back when you were on uh, not long ago, uh, but uh, we've changed it up a little bit for the 15th year. Uh, but before I ask you those questions, again, I thank you so much for being with us and for, for sharing the work that you're doing. Thank you, Richard. And before I ask you those questions, I need to address you, the listener and the viewer, and thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. with a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We are also podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations. And um, <clears throat> we also are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We uh, also uh, want you, if you can, to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. We certainly hope that you will. Listen to that still, small voice and just sit quietly and breathe in for three seconds and then breathe out for three seconds. And however you want to do that in terms of what Greg has shared with us here on the program today, that's just, <coughs> pardon me, the beginning part. But uh, we hope you'll get a copy of his book as well. And if you would like to support the work that we are doing, we encourage you to uh, go to PayPal. It's there for your security as well as ours. First question for, uh, for you is, who is Greg Hammer? Wow. Well, I think Greg Hammer uh, is just a eddy in the stream of consciousness or awareness or God or love. Uh, a temporary modulation of of being uh, that is like an eddy in the stream that cannot be removed from the stream that got its energy from the stream and will yield its energy back to the stream. What is your life's purpose? Simply to be, to be present and to to do service for others and to be kind and generous with everyone. And finally, and I always preface it by saying that I hope you get the movie reference. What was your best day? I have to say today, right now, Richard, and I thank you for contributing to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. City Slickers, that's the movie. <clears throat> 
have to watch it again to find out where that comes up, my friend. Again, I thank you so much for joining us and for being a part of what we're doing here. And uh, we will we do look forward to having you back to talk about the book that you're working on now in terms of uh, the young folks uh, in the crowd uh, who might be listening or watching uh, and uh, something directed uh, directed at them. Thank you, Richard. I look forward to joining you again. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am still listening.